I can't tell everyone enough that it is absolutely paramount that we go and we vote yes to 802. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, we're going to explain why you should vote yes on state question 802 on June 30th. So Mental Health Association Oklahoma has joined the Yes on 802 Oklahomans Decide Healthcare movement to get expansion passed in 2020 for nearly 200,000 Oklahomans. You can learn more about this issue at yeson802.org. Here are the days and times where early voting will be open at county election boards. Friday, June 26, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And Saturday, June 27th, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And you can click the link in the show notes to find the early voting location closest to you. Please vote, spread the word, and let's win Medicaid expansion on June 30th. We're going to be talking about how Medicaid expansion would benefit the people Mental Health Association Oklahoma serves. And to do that, my guests are Selena Stockley, who serves as Mental Health Association Oklahoma's brand new chief administrative officer. And Selena also oversees our advocacy efforts. I've also invited our friend Jacob Beaumont, the association's director of criminal justice reform, to be a part of the conversation. Okay, let's get started. The Mental Health Download starts now. So, Jacob, as you've researched Medicaid expansion, you know, what are those stats that have really stood out to you? So what we see uh, in terms of who benefits from Medicaid currently is about 800,000 Oklahomans. A lot of folks have this very common misconception that the only people who benefit from Medicaid are seniors and individuals with disabilities and that the list stops there. Actually, of those 800,000 Oklahomans benefiting from Medicaid, they represent a wide cross-section of our state, and almost a full two-thirds of them are children. These are individuals that would qualify as low income. These are individuals that are nearing retirement that have lost coverage. Uh, It's also Oklahomans that have fallen into what's known as a a coverage gap. They uh, make too much to qualify for Medicaid, but they they don't make enough to be able to afford their own private insurance. These are friends, families, and neighbors that are one medical bill away from financial ruin. This is a population that stands to benefit most from Medicaid because they're living in precarity. Expansion eases this precarity a little bit for some of our most vulnerable Oklahomans by making sure they aren't having to choose between preventative care or paying rent. So, Selena, I want you to give our audience a bit of background about your experience with Medicaid in the past. My experience in the last 24 years, I have been a hospital administrator. I've worked in Oklahoma for 17 years in child and adolescent psychiatric services. So I have a lot of extensive history in working with Medicaid and serving children and adolescents and their families with billing and servicing kids that were underserved. And so we would bill Medicaid. And what I discovered is that probably 80% of the services that we provided in Oklahoma were, in fact, those kids that were utilizing Medicaid. When I worked in Pontotoc County, I also served with the adult population. And we also had the population that was 18 to 25, and we still utilized Medicaid services. And there's this misnomer that, you know, Medicaid is just for children, but it's also for the young adults as well. When we had a shortfall of resources in Oklahoma and Medicaid services were cut in the late 
you know, 2010, 2015, it really impacted services for all of those that are in need. And so what we really saw were kids that were not able to get services. So that impacted the way that we were able to serve that population. And what we found that we had more kids out that were in the street, more kids that were living in poverty, more kids that were being sex trafficked. So it was really disheartening. One of the things that I found that if you were able to work with a family and get them the services that they need, they were able to just be able to go to school. They were able to go and seek counseling services and they were able to function. You know, the thing that was really impactful is that when we had services that were available to these kids and to these families, whether it was home-based services, whether it was outreach services, whether it was outpatient counseling, the families were able to connect and families were able to stay intact which was really important. When you don't have those services and you don't have Medicaid available to those families, there's a disconnect and families are lost and it's disheartening for the state and the state will pay in one way or another because it becomes very hard for agencies and for healthcare systems because they, of course, become responsible for indigent care. And then that also takes a burden and that also becomes a burden for all of the hospital systems. And, you know, we had a large percentage percentage of indigent care that we were responsible for. So it's, you know, it's a catch-22. You know, I know that there's this perception that Medicaid is just for those that don't want to work, and that's not the case at all. Like Jacob was mentioning early, when you have families that are in the food industry, you know, they are barely making ends meet. They have to decide whether they have food on the table, but they can't afford the luxury of going to a doctor because they can't afford it. They just have enough wages to be able to pay rent and to have food on the table. All right. So let's talk about how this will directly affect the people Mental Health Association Oklahoma serves. And I'm talking people with mental illness, people who have experienced homelessness, people who have been justice involved, people who are rebuilding their lives. So Jacob, give us your thoughts. So as we mentioned before, bottom line, full Medicaid expansion will improve the lives of about 200,000 Oklahomans. This includes about 97,000 people with a mental health diagnosis that don't currently have access to some form of health care. When we look at some of the very specific populations we serve, the implications of Medicaid expansion paint a very promising picture. You know, if you've listened to this podcast at all, if you're familiar with us at all, you know we take a housing first approach to treatment, meaning that housing security is of the utmost importance to us because we believe it's the keystone in a person's long-term well-being. Expansion and the lowering of barriers of access to care for individuals who experience homelessness or some other form of housing insecurity not only see an increase in health care coverage, but uh, according to a 2014 report from the Kaiser Family Foundation, we actually see that these populations are, are better able at maintaining housing. As it would turn out, when you aren't financially stressed as much, you're healthier, you're able to work, you're able to access other life-changing social services. The same goes for individuals with substance use disorders. When an individual is better able to manage their care and access treatment and mental health services, they're less likely to lose employment, lose housing, or intersect with the criminal justice system. As Selena mentioned, one in three Oklahomans with a mental health diagnosis actually get the care they need, leaving two out of three that don't. So Medicaid expansion shrinks that gap overall for the population we serve. It's, it's going to be a huge boon to us. All right. Now, Jacob, can you tell us why we do not support alternatives to Medicaid expansion? For instance, block grants. Yeah. So one of the 
biggest benefits of a large program like Medicaid is its consistency. You know what you're going to get no matter where you are. Opponents of Medicaid expansion would tell you that it's big government and it's scary. They're scared by the idea that the federal government might tell them to do something they don't like, like provide a certain degree of care to your citizens. But once a state starts trying to create its own version of Medicaid by looking for exemptions and exceptions and attaching personal responsibility requirements to it, it turns out you need to create more government and you need to create more bureaucracy to help manage all of this. On top of that, when we see attempts to attach things like work requirements to coverage, we see a number of hurdles pop up. And especially in the population we serve at Mental Health Association Oklahoma, Full disclosure, Mental Health Association Oklahoma manages and works with a number of employment services because we believe that for some folks, meaningful work can be a key part of someone's treatment or recovery. That said, we don't believe someone's ability to get and maintain a job should be a prerequisite to access for treatment because we know our participants have the deck stacked against them when it comes to getting employment or maintaining employment in the first place. What we see instead is that states that expand Medicaid often see increases in labor mobility, for instance, because shocker, when your population has access to healthcare, they stay healthy, they're better able to get into the workforce, they're better able to stay in the workforce. When it comes to these attempts to dramatically alter how Medicaid works, at the state level, the end result is often losses in coverage and really costly losses. So, Selena, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and I want you to pretend that I am someone who's going to vote no on 802. What would you tell me to convince me to vote yes? If, if I was speaking to someone that was adamant about that this is not the right thing for Oklahoma, I would say that one of the things that we have to really be mindful of is that right now, healthcare is one of the largest sectors in our economy. If you look at oil and gas, right now that has taken a backseat. A lot of that has been to, because there is a recession and COVID has also played a major role in that. But the healthcare industry is one of the largest sectors in our economy. And we have to keep our hospitals open. Working in a rural area that I did in Pontotoc County, we really struggled with finding providers. And there's nothing more heartbreaking than seeing an employee who has a loved one in a rural area who needed services and there was not a IMSA or a lifelight service available and they had to drive their loved one two hours to Oklahoma City. That's unacceptable. You know, we are United States. We are Oklahoma. We should be able to have those resources. And so what I would say to someone that doesn't vote yes to this is that if we don't pay for it now, we will pay for it later. And, you know, it is a billion dollars that would come back to Oklahoma. And currently there are other states right now that are benefiting from this. And it is a no brainer. But when we had the previous governor in office, we elected not to take part in this. That was foolish on our part because we could have benefited from this. And if you if you think about it, you know, we rank 34th in the access to mental health care. So there's over 90 percent of the states that rank higher and they have expanded in their Medicaid. You know, only one in three Oklahomans who have experienced any form of mental illness get the care that they need. And that's you know, that is just sad. You know, that is that is heartbreaking. And there is no excuse for that. Just the fact that if we could vote yes to this would just bring money back in and that would bring and possibly create 
more state revenue, which would bring in an influx of federal dollars, which would also create about 26,000 more Oklahoma jobs. And this would also stimulate our economy and could possibly yield about 123 million more in additional sales and income tax and revenue for our state. And it would help sustain our local budgets and our, our, our local state economy. So, Selena, I want you to close us out with your strongest argument for why everyone should vote yes on 802 on June 30th. You know, my personal belief and, and my philosophy, and I believe the association as well, that the time is now that healthcare should not be considered a luxury. It should be considered a standard care of living for every American and for every Oklahoman. We must do what is right now or we will pay the cost later. If we don't do what we need to do now, which is provide health care and provide and expand our Medicaid program, the burden will be on the Oklahomans in the future as taxpayers. It will burden our health care systems and it will burden our economy in the future. So we have to do the right thing. You know, right now, everyone is... Every other, you know, New York, California, other states are receiving this. This is, you know, not to insult anyone. This is a no brainer. We have to expand it. We've got the resources to do it. This will be in the long run. This will be the right thing to do that will help and save our state. It will bring our state to a level which we can keep our jobs, we can increase our economic activity, and we can have treatment and we can provide services and we can keep our Oklahomans healthy and we can give them the care and the treatment that they deserve. It's just the right thing to do. So for me, it is a belief that everyone should deserve health care. I can't tell everyone enough that it is absolutely paramount that we go and we vote yes to 802. All right. So as we wrap up the conversation, I want to thank Jacob and Selena for joining me here today. And I'm actually going to close this out today with our rallying cry. I believe so much in Yes on 82. Expansion would see a billion dollars return to Oklahoma, improve our economy and keep the doors open to rural hospitals. It just makes sense. So I'm going to close this out by saying everyone be a part of voting Yes on 802 and go do good things.